Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 145 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. In this episode, we are talking all things women's hormones and more specifically, digging into endometriosis and infertility. Both of these topics are things that I have a personal experience of struggle with, and they both have significant overlaps that you'll learn about in today's episode. Yes. And I know you hit on this topic way, way back in episode 20, but that was prior to me being a co-host on here and over 120 episodes ago, which is hard to believe. Yeah. Some things have changed in this world and (laughs) uh, it is a continued problem. And I think that we're just starting, the, the world of women's hormones is so interesting. And I think that for so long, there's been some unspoken shame or I guess don't ask, don't tell conversation about your air quotes, period, in <laughs> any way, shape or form. So I think that we're starting to see more and more endometriosis as women are understanding that painful periods, severe cramping, breakthrough bleeding, pain during intercourse are all related to potentially a medical diagnosis and not something that they should just you know, suck it up. Yeah, totally. We're we're seeing more, you know, visibility in that area, more sharing, which I think is awesome. We're also seeing infertility, you know, continue to rise, which is something we talked about back in the birth control episodes 106 and 107 that it's just kind of rampant and an epidemic. And just as we talked about in those episodes, you'll also hear in today's episode that <laughs> I'll unpack the, you know, current interventions in mainstream medicine. But often it's, let's just suppress the woman's hormones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who, needs, who needs hormones? And I hope that if anything in today's conversation and, and what you guys keep hearing from me is that, you know, everything that your body does has a multitude of functions, right? So it's not this one plus two equals three. If something's going on in balance, just suppress it. Because as we'll learn and discuss, and as we talked about, right, in the episode 106 and 107 on natural birth control and the side effects of birth control and synthetic hormone, is that hormones like estrogen, progesterone, and our feedback hormones of our HPA axis have function that influence our mood, function that influence our bone, function that influence our metabolism, and so much more in the body. So we can't just put these blockades and expect the body to function appropriately. Totally. It's not as simple as hitting the override button. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so I know, you know, most people probably know the simple definition of infertility as inability to conceive, but let's get into a little bit more complexity of the definition of both infertility and endometriosis. Yes. So infertility is the inability of a sexual act, a sexually active couple that isn't using contraception to achieve pregnancy after 12 months. So it it's, takes that full year. You know, there's always fluctuations and changes in the body. And I know when I was dealing with infertility, that was kind of the thing I kept, I kept calendar checking, like, am I there yet? Am I there yet? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? And I like to preface that, of course, in, in today's episode, that the topic of infertility is extremely emotionally charged. And unfortunately, it leads to just like I was saying earlier with periods, this shame association or this feeling of broken. You know, a, a lot of times as women, one of our primary roles, or at least of what we have societally grown up to believe or, you know, been passed down as far as procreation and keeping society going is to 
conceive a child. And so there's a a lot of layers of stress and emotions that go into this. Um, But on a textbook definition, it is for two sexually active people to not be able to achieve pregnancy in one year. And we can look at some diagnostics as far as follicular stimulating hormone. That's one of the first ones that will be tested in the blood. And it's called your FSH on a simple blood test. And this level would be um, looking elevated in um, a woman that is of a fertile age. It's what provides the egg to be released, okay? And so if your FSH levels are too low, uh, then that can definitely drive infertility. And then we also can look at prolactin levels. This has an inverse relationship. Prolactin levels when too high. Prolactin levels are what are elevated during active lactation or breastfeeding and during pregnancy. So this is a hormone that actually prevents fertility, but it can be elevated from stress or other um, elements of imbalance in the HPA axis. And when prolactin goes up, it suppresses FSH. So that could also be seen with a low FSH or just high prolactin levels alone could be a driver infertility. And to be uh, a statement on prolactin specifically, I do recommend if you're at the six-month mark of infertility, getting your FSH, prolactin, and also a 21-day progesterone test as far as just standard blood tests to kind of see where things are at. And if prolactin levels are elevated, that's the only time that I would use chasteberry uh, or chaste tree or Vitex. Otherwise, that's not one that I like in hormonal blends if you don't know if your prolactin is elevated because it can suppress some of that pituitary function. I think that's really important to note and something we've been talking about quite a bit, I think, uh, last episode or a couple ago. Um, I know. I feel like I'm always yelling that because I can't yeah, tell you yeah. literally Don't like 80%. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes. So many women come to me on that and I'm like, no, no, we don't want to suppress anything. We want to first understand what is your body saying, <laughs> listen to that information, interpret that, and then tailor interventions based on that data, right? And before we move on to endometriosis, uh, I also would define infertility can be within that 12-month period as you're doing investigative studies for women. You can also look at some studies uh, on the male partner. So you can get evaluated for infertility or subfertility looking at um, assessments and evaluation of semen. Got it. So it's not necessarily just the woman that's, you know, contributing. um, Absolutely. And I think it's so important to test both because that also keeps you and your partner in the same playing field. And it it, it is two to tango as far as the pregnancy process or getting pregnant at least. Yeah. And then his work is done. I know, and right? It's all on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 30 seconds of, or whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and hopefully, you know, he's a, a contributing partner and a, a 50% player in everything but carrying the baby. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, if only men dealt with constipation, chronic fatigue, all of the things that <laughs> flat flashes. <laughs> Oh yeah. Have you ever watched those videos of the guys where they put the, um, like on YouTube, they put the, uh, like, uh, contraction belt on them and, and they stimulate contractions. Uh, no, but it sounds like I need to. I think I should link it just for people to laugh. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Okay. So let's define endometriosis. Uh, so endometriosis is a more common than ever health problem in women. It basically is speaking to the the endometrium, which is the tissue that normally lines the uterus or the womb of a woman. And endometriosis is a condition when that type of tissue is growing outside of the uterus. So it doesn't just line the uterus, but it finds itself actually in the ovaries, in fallopian tubes. So this can cause a lot of inflammatory processing, cramping, and pain. Uh, We can see it in tissues that hold the uterus in place. Uh, A lot of women that get like really low back pain may be uh, candidates that are experiencing endometriosis or outer surface of the uterus. And then it can also even grow in the vagina, the cervix, the vulva, the bowel, and the bladder, as well as the rectum. So a lot of people will have experience of, and we talked about this also, I think, in 106 and 107 about like looser stools or constipation. Oh, and we talked about in the Perfecting Your Poop episode, that hormone connection of that uterine tissue and uh, the large intestine being so intimately connected. And then if you have uh, endometrium cells lining your intestines, that 
that's going to create even more of that hormonal chronic inflammation and bowel irregularity. So we can see IBS, we can see infertility with endometriosis, we can see pain, digestive stress, fibroids, and irregular cycles. Okay. So a lot of symptoms that can come out of endometriosis and can that be considered endometriosis. Um, so um, in terms of just kind of putting this into perspective, it's estimated that one in 10 women of reproductive age has endometriosis. And this year alone, more than 9 million Americans will experience infertility. That's a lot. Um, the business yes. of infertility is a $3 billion a year industry that includes synthetic hormones harmful interventions and um, extended emotional timeframes for families. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of these standard treatments and, and what we see women going through in terms of treatment for infertility. Okay. So the first go-to, and the, the thing that I think I kind of mentioned as a preface, I think that, I, I don't even think that this is that large of a hypothesis, but the use of and the rise of birth control or synthetic hormone or hormonal suppression is one of the primary root causes of infertility, right? Because we've been telling the body in, in some individuals' bodies, especially girls that have been on birth control from age 14 and on, probably on birth control because of endometriosis, right? Um, so we're suppressing hormone and telling the body not to produce. And then after 18 or 20 years of use of this synthetic, they, they get married, they stop birth control, and they wonder why their system isn't working. You know, So we always want to think about the root cause, and we always want to be more proactive about family planning, because I do know that that stress, that timeline is very stressful. And again, it's that emotional element on a new marriage already, putting that dynamic of then feeling broken. Um, so I think it's really important to think of a two to three year window of getting your body ready for optimized fertility. Um, so that's just kind of my preface on there. So current interventions for infertility. Um, the first and most common one is Clomid. So it's so interesting because Clomid is a uh, medication that does inhibit estrogen receptors in the hypothalamus. So that's the H of the HPA axis, okay? It actually inhibits negative feedback of estrogen on our gonadotropin-releasing hormone. So it's going to block feedback mechanism in the pituitary as well. And it uh, upregulates the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So basically, it interferes with estrogen receptors in the hypothalamus. It stimulates um, the gonadotropin-releasing hormone to try to surge hormone from the pituitary. Um, but there's a little bit of a ping-pong Pinball. Ah, always Becky. That's Pinball. So <laughs> you got yourself. Effect. I, I thought so hard before I spoke too. It's a, a little bit of a, a pinball machine effect in that sense, right? It's a slingshot to the pituitary is the best way to under, understand it. So it stimulates pituitary hormone stimulation and then no particular hormone pathway. Okay. okay. So it's kind of like, um, hope this works. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, you look right. You look at the drug inf information and it's like mechanisms unknown. Mm. And that's where there can be a lot of side effects as far as if there was already some level of hormone dominance, it's not necessarily specific to which hormone was in excess and which hormone was deficient. Um, and also we can see pretty extreme mood issues as far as anxiety, depression, because think this is the HPA axis that regulates your fight or flight mode. And we're interfering with both the H and the P of that. So that's definitely going to have influence on the adrenals as well as the gonadal or uh, ovarian function in the body. Okay. Um, and then metformin is another one that is commonly used yeah. um, specifically for PCOS, which I think is so interesting because there's, you know, certainly other things we can do to address that, that root cause yes. considering we're using a diabetic drug, but let's talk about that one. Yeah. So, you know, metformin is going to reduce glucose levels, which will support insulin resist, insulin sensitivity, excuse me. A lot of women with infertility have insulin resistance. Um, and so right now I'm seeing it prescribed as just a uh, umbrella approach, which is wild. I've had patients that have had a hemoglobin A1C of 5.4 below being prescribed metformin just because that's in the 
protocol for infertility. So that's kind of interesting. And to me, it's disheartening because metformin as a drug drives mitochondrial dysfunction. It can drive down B vitamin status, specifically B12, and a lot of the B vitamins that are essential for optimized fertility. Mm -hmm. So kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we're using that medication and we could use diet therapy to support insulin sensitivity instead. Okay. And then, yeah, the ketogenic diet would be our first go-to. We have two full episodes actually on PCOS that I will link to in our show notes, but the, the keto diet would be a great tool for, you know, lowering those glucose levels with diet instead of this Band-Aid approach. And insulin. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, we'll unpack keto further because yes, obviously that's one of my interventions. Yeah. <laughs> There's other mechanisms that influence fertility for sure. Yes. And then what about the whole world of IVF, IUI, and kind of all of that piece of the puzzle? Right. So generally someone would start on, and I don't recommend starting on Clomid or Metformin unless you've hit that 12 month mark. In fact, I wouldn't recommend starting either of those drugs, even once you've hit beyond the 12 month mark, because of just discussed side effects, I would prefer to work with bioidentical hormone and blood sugar regulation, right? So I think neither of those are essential tools. Now, if you've been doing the process, IVF and IUI may be necessary because this could be a physiological influence, right? Maybe it, your, your uh, fallopian tube has some dysfunction anatomically speaking, so you're not releasing an egg. Maybe uh, the uh, sperm is of low motility, and so you need that I. IUI to inject the sperm into the uterus. But basically that's the variance of those two is that IVF is going to be egg stimulation, um, hormone stimulation, egg retrieval, right? And then fertilization outside of the body and then a transfer of a fertilized egg, right? And then the IUI is going to be uh, interuterine injection of sperm to basically decrease the sperm's travel time and try to promote that viability to the egg. Got it. Okay. And then, you know, both of those processes can involve, you know, months and months of injecting yourself with hormones. And um, I can't tell you how messed up I see hormones after an IVF cycle. Yes. And again, no shame if that's where we're at and that's what we have to do. Um, And you choose what's right for you based on your plan. But I I would say, you know, wait till at least 18 months to go into either of those worlds. And, um, you know, definitely those first two drug interventions, I I see no necessity at all. But those two procedures, once you get there, that's a family planning decision. And you can still use functional medicine to improve your uh, viability of your eggs and um, reduce the inflammatory process in the body. And we'll get there in a, in, in probably 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, not a moment, never a moment with me. Um, so let's talk uh, endometriosis uh, management in conventional medical model. Yes. So birth control is a big one. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying. First and foremost, it's going to be, oh, just take this pill and uh, silence the rhythm of your body, shut down the HPO or HPG, whatever we want to call it, feedback um, of that HPA access, and um, we'll just suppress your body's hormone production and use synthetic. So birth control pills, patches, vaginal rings, IUD can all be used to control the hormones that would be responsible to build up the endometrial tissue, right? Um, Now, there's another drug on the market called Orlissa. This is quite disturbing as well. Um, It's essentially a hormone suppressor. So the biggest side effects are bone density, infertility, and depression. And what it does is it competes with the endogenous, meaning made within the body, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, um, GnRH. And this is what's made, again, in the pituitary, the P of that HPA axis. And so when Orlissa competes with the the gonadotropin-releasing hormone, Um, you're going to then see less activity of GnRH. And so that's going to suppress the luteinizing hormone and the follicular stimulating hormone also made by the pituitary. And that happens as quick as four to six hours from first dosage. And then within 24 hours, we already start to see suppression of both estrogen and progesterone. So basically this drug uh, gives feedback to the receptor that there's enough hormone in the body. And meanwhile, hormone production starts to shut down and slow down. And we haven't been using it long enough to see if the body can recover from that. So that's quite disturbing. 
Uh-huh. So Orlissa, I've been seeing more and more too in, in clients um, and younger and younger women too, that it's been used. Um, so essentially any of those um, options, not great options in terms of all they're doing is shutting down hormone production. Yes. And again, we, we don't know kind of the longevity of if this is a teen and they're not educated on the side effects, how this could then impact them a decade later um, when they're looking for family planning. So definitely one to be mindful of for our teens and early 20s. Sure. Um, and then beyond ovulation, what about how issues such as endometriosis or history of miscarriage um, or maybe inflammatory tissue and fibroids, how did those play in and, and what are typically the interventions there? So there's uh, options of ablation um, would be done or a laparoscopic procedure, which would basically remove the endometrial linings. This is more physiological. And then at that point, you're kind of starting from a clean slate. Um, This is one that I'm actually more on board with than actually hormonal intervention based on the level of tissue inflammation and buildup and fibroid size. And then there's drugs like Lupron, um, which has been on the market longer, another medication that basically drives early onset of menopause. So again, another hormone suppressor. But the physiological uh, kind of tissue reset, depending on severity, um, can be an intervention that may be at least, like I said, a reset button for the body. And then you can use functional interventions to move forward and heal. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of patients with great success, but just like anything, when we're doing a laparoscopic procedure and working with that tissue, there, there can also be tissue damage and that in itself could drive infertility. So there's a lot of things to start with before any of these interventions is my answer. Yes. So let's get to some of, of those because it sounds like no option is a great option and none of those options are without their own set of side effects and um, all of that. So when we're seeking the root cause, when we're looking to functional medicine, what's your approach in treatment of infertility and endometriosis? And and where do you start to look with a client who's going through this? So are there things you would do, you know, more for one versus the other, depending on where they're starting from? Yeah. So I'm going to just go through six and, and these are generally the order that I attack in clinic, but when looking at the, as a detective of the individual's body, something might scream out at me louder. Like I'm, I'm going to hit detox down the line here. And if someone's working in a salon, to be fair, I might start detox earlier as a priority. Um, but my first entry point is weight. So being either over or underweight, um, especially when combined with blood sugar metabolism issues, such as insulin resistance or hypoglycemia, either of these um, can be more extreme drivers of infertility or hormone imbalance. And that also connects this impact of endometriosis based on that hormone imbalance, right? So if we're overweight, we've seen in study after study and clinic after clinic, five to 10% weight loss alone can significantly improve fertility. And when you're going through a weight loss process, it would be really important, especially if the focus is on hormone balance, to ensure that you're actively taking something with calcium D-gluconate, like my ultimate detox supplement. Active weight loss for hormone balance requires ultimate detox because it's going to help to clean up the hormone that's released from your adipocytes or your body fat tissue, which itself has hormonal impact, both as estrogenic tissue itself, so driving estrogen expression, and then releasing the endocrine disrupting compounds or the hormone uh, disruptive chemicals that were stored in the fat that the liver wasn't able to process and metabolize. So ultimate detox paired with that weight loss for someone overweight would be a really big intervention. And I'll go through supplements at the end, but I just want to really hit that there because otherwise you can see more imbalance. And we can see that in the keto community, wouldn't you say, where people are doing really rock and roll, they've lost their first five, 10 pounds, and then all of a sudden they start having these hormone imbalances because they're they're laying in, as you like to say, Becky, they're laying in a, a bad bathtub of dirty water, right? They're not, they're not upregulating that removal of the 
tissue and the cellular capacity of the fat cells that they're losing. Yep. And that's why we advocate for anyone who's gone through our keto program, lost significant body weight, or just hit a, a plateau, quite frankly. It doesn't have to be, you know, super significant body weight, it could be five or 10 pounds, um, to go through our, our 10 day detox, which includes that ultimate detox supplement. Yes. So with overweight, that can be a big impact because really our, our cellular communication is going to be less optimized. Uh, we can see that just like with insulin resistance, right? Insulin levels tend to be elevated and the receptor sites aren't as responsive. Um, and overweight, especially actually for any uh, IVF or IUI, they require women to be at a BMI of 40 or less because they know statistically there just is not as much success with egg retrieval um, and with implant and so much more. So weight loss is definitely an important priority. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we would say women that are underweight. So uh, another thing that's on the rise that I'm seeing significant increase of is hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I'm going to do an entire episode on this. So I, I'm going to just give a little piece of today. But this is a condition where a woman loses their cycle. Um, and often this is an individual that is of a lower percent body fat. They may have a history of disordered eating or over restrictive eating or uh, even binge restrictive eating patterns, uh, tend to over exercise and be high stressed or more of like a type A individual. Um, that hypothalamus, which is in that HPA axis, basically sends signals to the body that it's not safe and we get suppression of hormone expression in the body. So I do also actually use a ketogenic diet with hypothalamic amenorrhea, and that might be counterintuitive, but I ensure that it's a high fat keto. And then after three months of implementing uh, the ketogenic state, I implement carb cycling for these individuals as well. So we can kind of slingshot the pituitary in a favorable way and work to drive uh, fluctuation of hormone from those feedback glands. So you're first telling the body it's safe and you're refeeding basically with fat. Um, and we know that you need fat to manufacture hormones. So high fat keto works. Calorie restricted keto, to be clear, will not help with hypothalamic amenorrhea. Sure. Um, and then that implementation of carb cycling on down the line. Um, we talked a lot about that in episode 75 on carb cycling, but I'm sure we'll, we'll circle back on that again when we get to that exciting episode that I'm sure plenty of people are waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm calling it like get your period back or something like yep. that. Yeah. Yep. We so much to do that, back in that for a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess that, that prefaces into, so being over or underweight is the first reason. The second reason is going to be hormonal imbalance. So also may sound quite obvious. So this can be any gamut of conditions as we for mentioned already, PCOS, endometriosis, an individual could be experiencing just estrogen dominance. And as we've expressed in other episodes, that may be based on excess estrogen or low progesterone, which isn't uh, meeting that balance of estrogen. So either too low of progesterone, too high of estrogen or anything in between and otherwise just low hormone overall. So the first thing we want to do is to reduce the insulin levels. We want to reduce inflammation and we want to consider detoxification if there is any excess hormone and more specifically beyond. So ultimate detox is going to give us phase two detox support. So that helps with encapsulation and excretion of toxins and the calcium D-gluconate ingredient in there is specifically supportive of estrogen detox. But another layer I'd bring in if dealing with endometriosis or uh, dealing with estrogen dominance, and especially if you haven't tested yet, I wouldn't recommend going into something high, uh, reducing of estrogen like DIM, but we have a new supplement coming out called Brocco Detox. And then I would also bring in for any hormone imbalance, regardless of knowing where you're at, relax and regulate. And I would do that at two scoops if you're dealing with hormonal imbalance and endometriosis or infertility because the inositol in there 
the inositol has been shown to support ovarian function, support support ovarian hormone release, and then the magnesium bisglycinate aids in the function of uh, you know making nutritional ketones and 300 plus enzymes in the body that it can regulate, as well as reducing inflammation and helping the body to feel safe, giving positive signals to that hypothalamus that the body can reproduce. It doesn't have to be in reactive fight or flight mode. Yeah. And that relax and regulate is one we bring in kind of either end of the spectrum, whether, you know, overweight and dealing with PCOS per se, or um, hypothalamic amenorrhea and being underweight can really work both ends of the spectrum. Um, Totally. Let's talk about Brocco detox. So this should be out by the time this episode airs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it features brassinase, which is a unique combination of broccoli ingredients. It's truly like a food as medicine supplement. Um, It includes standardized amounts of glucoraphanin um, and the active micronase, um, which is, uh, or micro, microsinase. Myrosinase. Myrosinase. You always (laughs) do it so good. Um, But glucoraphanin. (laughs) And myrasinase. And that's the enzyme, though, that supports the uh, sulfur compounds, the sulforaphane production. So sulforaphane is the potent activator of the body's own antioxidant and detoxifying enzymes. So when we get that enzyme impact with the broccoli sprout, um, we're actually getting the end product that we're looking for with the precursors to teach the body to do the work. Yes. And super hard to eat enough broccoli or enough broccoli sprouts to get what you would get from this concentrated compound. So a really good supplement, um, whether we're dealing with estrogen dominance or, um, you know, breast cancer risk in the family or something of that nature. Yes, absolutely. So super excited to bring in. I think if we had a dollar every episode, we talked about cruciferous vegetables (laughs) and and I still want you to eat your cruciferous vegetables, of course, and they're a big staple in both of our households, but the Brocco detox is going to help to take you a couple levels up with clinical outcomes. Awesome. All right. So we got weight. We got the role of hormones. Let's talk micronutrients and also um, the role of toxins a little bit deeper. So micronutrients are are huge as well. Um, You know, if nutrients are deficient, we're not going to have a sufficient hormonal response. We're not going to have optimized cellular development and even DNA expression. Um, and, And so I do like to, when I'm prioritizing advanced testing with an individual, if I see markers of inflammation, I'm probably going to jump more towards going down the rabbit hole of MRT test. But if I don't see markers of inflammation, I'm probably going to start with a micronutrient test to really get specific data on where their CoQ10 is, where their B vitamin status is, zinc. And I'll unpack nutrients of focus towards the end of today's episode when I'm talking about highlights of, of food as medicine. But nutrient deficiency can be a dynamic driver of infertility. And again, chicken and egg, as we've discussed in the birth control episodes, birth control long-term use suppresses many of the nutrients required for optimized fertility. Yes. So definitely something to consider post-birth control or like a year out from even trying to conceive for sure. I think the the micronutrient panel is a really good intervention and, and one that I use more often than not with ladies who are trying to conceive. Yeah. And we, we like to use that just annually as like a wellness assessment. It looks at 35 vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants and shows you your intracellular capacity. So more of like a 90 day average of where you're at with that nutrient versus, you know, where you were just snapshot of what you ate yesterday. And with the trends of deficiency, a functional practitioner is able to look at potential whys. So if we see, for instance, low biotin and low vitamin K, we might think that that's an imbalance within your large intestine. It might be dysbiosis or something because we know that both of those nutrients are manufactured in the colon, right? So um, you can actually do the micronutrient test on the website. We'll definitely put a link in here and we give you a very detailed email assessment. And then the other option would just to be to go on a quality 
quality prenatal for at least six months before you determine if micronutrient deficiency is an issue at all. Because many of us have reasons for increased demand of a nutrient, you know, whether we're not sleeping amply, whether we're over-exercising, whether we're just under high mental emotional stress. And so it's great to give the body, um, you know, what it needs in a good diverse blend of bioavailable forms and then see if you need something more strategic. Awesome. So our multi-avail mama, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well, but that's a good one. Again, like a year out from even starting to try is a great intervention um, and way less expensive than doing, you know, functional testing. Oh, and I can't tell you, I've done so many reviews, even with brands that I like, like um, Douglas Labs, and um, I was looking at a Metagenics um, uh, prenatal as well. And our Multivale Mama, um, it is six capsules, to be fair. Um, so I personally take it two, two, and two, and I don't have fertility in the next year, but as I'm creeping 35 onward, I want to make sure that if I do want that second child, that my body is ready to go. So that's kind of my multi that I'm taking on going. Every now and then I'll, I'll trade out a multi defense, um, but two, two, and two with food works really well. And, and what I was going to say is, uh, many prenatals actually have less than a third of the particular, whether it's a B vitamin or a uh, mineral like zinc um, or selenium. Iodine is also included in the multivale mama, which is not very common with many options. And then not to mention beyond the functional supplement options out there, anything over the counter is generally going to have artificial colorants, non-methylated B vitamins, so that synthetic folic acid, which of course is not a good thing if we're talking about genetic issues with MTHFR. Yes. And the gummy prenatals, guys, don't even get me started on that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, And then beyond micronutrients, what about... um, we mentioned toxicity a little bit. What about toxin exposure? You mentioned like the the client who's working at a salon, that's kind of the rabbit hole that you would start them down. Yeah. Or someone that's cleaning houses for a living or, you know, working in a chemical plant like oil and gas industry, you know? So there's a lot of endocrine disrupting compounds in our petrochemicals, in our um, pesticides, perfumes, and plastics. And these things are pretty ubiquitous in our modern day industrialized society. So if you know you have a higher exposure that would put you, you know, based on your occupation or your lifestyle, style, then that would be an even higher priority to really support yourself with that 10-day detox. Uh, You know, we know that, again, these toxins are stored in our fat cells and our fat cells themselves are communicating with our hormone function of our body. So uh, endocrine disrupting compounds can have a louder, quieter, or completely different influence on the hormone pathway that it's targeting. And they can interfere with our thyroid function and our insulin sensitivity, as well as our sexual hormone balance. Okay. And I get this question a lot, actually, if someone's doing IVF, when in that process is it safe to detox? So I recommend generally, um, you can do it post retrieval and that's an option, but my 10 day detox with the reset, restore, renew packs is going to impact sexual hormone and it could detox some of that excess hormone. Um, and you know, at that point you're kind of in the hands of science. And, and I, I, I say that in the most loving way with the patients that I've worked with that are very proactive with functional medicine. Like once you've started the exogenous hormone treatment and you're getting ready for retrieval, you kind of want to just put your hands up in the air and surrender and use a mantra of like, my body is doing work. There's a plan. I surrender to the flow, you know, because I'll get emails all the time from women being like, I'm losing hair. This and that is happening. And it's like your medical team knows what they're doing. They're overriding your body's function. And at this point, they're looking at this as an investment of, you know, you're putting in $20,000, you're going to get a baby at the end of this. And at the end of the day, once you're already there, you want your baby out of it. And so you don't want to mess with excess circulating hormone once you've started the hormone treatment. So I recommend doing the uh, 10-day detox before you do your hormones to get ready for retrieval. So before you start the process of injections, because that's going to remove all of that excess 
endogenous endocrine disrupting compound from your body to help to create a less inflammatory state so that your body should be more receptive throughout the process. And then you cannot detox again until you're done breastfeeding. Okay. So that makes sense to kind of ride the process once you're, once you're in it and committed, and then, you know, you can do some cleanup work for sure after the fact, after you get that sweet little babe. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, and then stress, (laughs) would you say that's a big contributor here or another reason that you would look into? I mean, obviously with all things (laughs) anti-anxiety diet, that's always where my brain goes. Um, And most definitely, like we said, the process itself creates a stress cycle in the body of, you know, I I remember literally like every every red light or every time I had pause, I was still working full-time in clinic, obviously, the whole time that uh, Brady and I were trying to get pregnant. And, you know, I would know that I was approaching my period or even post ovulation. And I'd be like, am I pregnant? Do I feel something? Like it was such an obsessive mm-hmm. weird mental F really of, of just occupation in the, in the brain space. Um, and, and so I think that that in itself can really drive distress to the HPA axis. And then of course, if an individual has a high stress, um, you know, emotional relationship or work relationship or just demand Cortisol um, definitely plays a big role on infertility, and often we'll see higher levels of the body going androgenic. Um, A lot of women that have beyond PCOS, a lot of PCOS women are androgenic, meaning more male hormone, um, higher testosterone in the body. But if you start to see chin acne, that's generally a good sign of your body going androgenic. Um, So you'd want to regulate that cortisol excess. Um, And this is why I love running the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel. I like to run this when you're starting to think about fertility or three months in of trying because this is going to look at all of your sexual hormone as well as your steroidal hormone. So it's going to give us a a picture of your cortisol at a four-point assessment, your DHEA levels, as well as your neurotransmitters. So that's the signaling to this stress access. So if your epinephrine or adrenaline is high, that's showing signaling that the body's in freakout mode and it's not creating signaling to that HPA axis that the body is safe and that's going to suppress the gonadotropic releasing hormone or basically the driver of sexual hormone production. You get suppressed sexual hormone when the body is in high stress state. Totally makes sense. We say all the time, you know, your body's not going to want to carry a baby when you're running from a tiger in essence, when it perceives threat or danger. It's a simple survival element. And, you know, I think that's again where I'll I'll get emails. So relax and regulate, like we said, already, if this episode even sings to you or anyone, that person should be on two scoops of the relax and regulate. But a lot of people will ask about, you know, calm and clear or um, GABA calm or adaptogen boost. And yes, all of these could be appropriate and would very likely enhance your chance of fertility. And then the calm and clear and the adaptogen boost are two that I do not allow during active pregnancy. But remember, it, you have six weeks, um, you know, when you're when you're waiting for fertility, you're checking all the time. And um, you also have a lot of period of time until you share a blood, uh, blood store. So it would be safe to discontinue one of those um, HPA access supporters once you get that positive pregnancy test with no concern at all. Okay. So a little bit of a buffer of time zone there. Um, and we talked a lot about um, those supplements and other supplements that would be considered safe and unsafe in our episode on keto supplements yeah. and pregnancy. So I'll make sure I link to that as well. Um, yeah, I forgot we had that. Yeah. There should be some overlap <laughs> yeah. here. But I feel like this is all new stuff to yeah. some level. <laughs> um, what about last reason of um, dysbiosis or imbalanced gut bacteria. I know that can play in, especially with endometriosis and kind of a uh, bacterial connection there. Totally. So, you know, it's so interesting. And this, I think was one of my big turnkey elements that helped with my personal, uh, struggles with infertility and endometriosis. I ended up doing the, as it's written, the beat the bloat cleanse. And actually I was developing the ebook during that process. And, um, you know, 
dysbiosis and imbalanced gut bacteria can play a role with micronutrient deficiency because good bacteria aids in nutrient absorption and also nutrient production, right? It can also drive inflammation. It can also drive excess and imbalanced hormone as well as epinephrine and stress signaling to the body. So it kind of is one of those root causes that can cause distress and all of those other elements. And often we see dysbiosis with bloating, recurring UTIs, yeast infection, um, constipation or loose stool. So if you're experiencing any of that, I would just go right into the beat the bloat six week cleanse. And um, that could be a big resolution factor for some of the prior mentioned drivers even. Um, And so that's one to really think about. And even if you aren't, um, I always had like what I thought digestion of steel. um, And I just took the baseline probiotic always. And I was, I thought I was quote unquote fine. But then when I did my MRT test, I tested positive for the candida in the blood. And when I went through that process, I knew halfway through the cleanse, I was like, oh yeah, my body needed to do Mm -hmm. this work. Um, And I remember a lot of changes actually in my uterine and endometrial tissue that I could experience even during non-cyclical time. Um, And so there there is, again, that, that very significant tissue exchange, uh, especially with endometriosis of the intestines and the colon and the uterines. Okay. So that totally makes sense to go down the rabbit hole of, of our beat the bloat bundle, which comes with the six week cleanse and the ebook. Um, and then going through a rebuild phase before we start trying to conceive, I assume, right? Yes. And if you do get pregnant during the beat the bloat cleanse, just like with the common clear, you just stop where you're at and you just start bringing in the probiotics and you'd bring in the rebuild spectrum, which is the one that has that Saccharomyces boulardii, the friendly yeast form, and then either the the baseline restore or the targeted strength. And that would be absolutely fine. And and that you you might've just needed a partial cleanse and rock and roll. That's an all right thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Something worked. (laughs) Yes. Totally. Okay. So before we go any further into other interventions, let's have a word from our sponsor for today's episode, Further Food. Yes, we love Further Food. Their products are the highest quality food as medicine supplements in the forms of real foods. Uh, Their collagen is grass-fed, pasture-raised, and or they have a wild-caught cod. All of their products are non-GMO and antibiotic and hormone-free for those that are animal-derived. And I use collagen, gelatin, or bone broth on a daily basis in my household to support gut integrity, to provide my body with glycine, which is a big supporter of neuromuscular relaxation and even can, can promote healthy sleep. Yes. And I love the gelatin right now that it's getting like 90 plus degrees in Houston and in Texas in general. I'm probably not going to be sipping on my mug of hot steaming bone broth anytime soon. So the gelatin is one that I definitely increase consumption of in the summertime, making maybe a batch of gelatin gummies per week. Um, I recently accidentally added it to cold brew and then discovered cold brew gelatin gummies could be a thing that we have on the blog. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have yet to try them, but they looked amazing. And then collagen too. So maybe you were trying to add collagen. Is that what I was trying to add collagen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, the jars do not look anything alike. I just was spacing out and added a scoop of gelatin, but it was a beautiful kind of miracle. (laughs) Awesome. So collagen is definitely more versatile for those of you that aren't using collagen yet. Um, Gelatin will gelatinize in cold, right? And so it is a little bit more therapeutic, but collagen you can add to hot, cold um, uh, beverages and it will not gelatinize or really influence the texture. So I add it into anytime I'm doing a fatty coffee or uh, matcha. And then I also incorporate collagen into all my baked goods. So if I'm doing Stella's uh, almond butter pancakes or keto muffin or something like that, It's a great way to boost that protein and also support connective tissue. So collagen and gelatin are going to aid not only in gut restoration and uh, support of reduction of stress response in the body, they also help with hair, skin, and nails. Yes. And I absolutely love their other powders like their turmeric tonic, their daily turmeric tonic, and their mindful matcha that add 
adaptogens and other food as medicine compounds or turmeric tonic has some ashwagandha in there for that kind of like mellow out bliss factor. And it's a great option for an afternoon iced latte when you you know want to be off of the caffeine um, or their matcha adds in some wheatgrass powder. So it's a little bit of an extra greens boost. Love it. So go on over to furtherfood.com, uh, use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout, and you will get 10% off your first order. And uh, check out all the things. I would grab one of each a collagen, a grass fed gelatin, uh, and then maybe one or the other of the mindful matcha and the uh, turmeric tonic. Awesome. So back to today's focus really comes down to six things just to briefly summarize. So insulin resistance hormone balance, micronutrients, toxicity, stress response, and dysbiosis. So how do we know where to start and how do you kind of determine your entry point of where to assess further? Yeah. So, I mean, immediately, uh, cause clients come to me at all walks of life and it does shock me if you've been on my wait list for six months and you haven't tried keto and you're mm-hmm. eating a standard American diet, what are you doing? <laughs> but, um, no, you know, the first thing to do is to remove primary inflammatory foods. So I would pull out all grains. I would definitely focus on removing gluten, soy, refined sugar, corn, um, and emphasizing at minimum, a low glycemic diet to bring down those insulin levels right? And likely bringing in a ketogenic diet. Um, And that's what would be my highest recommendation is to go a clean whole food keto using single ingredients to make, you know, flavors pop like we do in our virtual food as medicine 12 week keto program. So that'd be a great entry point. Um, And of course that program also is going to teach you about all of these entries of nutrients, toxicity, dysbiosis, and so much more. Um, But within the diet as a platform, I also emphasize organic ingredients. There's just so much in literature on the role of um, glyphosate residue uh, from pesticides and chemical fertilizers, again, directly functioning as endocrine disruptors, but big trends with infertility and early miscarriage. So if we're working for fertility, let's make sure that we rid our body of a compound that can drive signaling distress and miscarriage, right? So we want to kind of keep the body clean um, in that process. So using like the dirty dozen list when we're prioritizing our produce. And really, honestly, when you remove the Cheerios and the garbage and the processed products, corn and gluten and soy, um, corn and soy are two of the highest GMO crops. So if you can remove those foods, that helps a lot with the glyphosate residue, bar none. And then you can use the dirty dozen list as far as organic local sourced uh, vegetables. Um, But the ketogenic diet would be the, the main entry point. And then we would determine whether you would go calorie restricted and the amount of fat you need based on if you're in an overweight or underweight status. And we'd also take an individualized stance on fasting because that could support or cause distress when we're talking about fertility. Okay. That totally makes sense to take that and customize and maybe we'd up level by adding on carb cycling a couple of months in and so forth. Um, yeah. And it's its own lever. You know, you got to kind of think of that, that they don't, they're not mutually inclusive necessarily. The keto diet is the keto diet and then there's fasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then back to, um, you know, beyond removing those primary inflammatory foods, if someone's already done that and we're seeing, you know, other signs and symptoms or, um, blood markers of inflammation, I know the MRT diet or the MRT um, inflammatory food panel would be something that you'd likely bring in. Absolutely. Because that's going to give us that individualized surveillance system of the body of what's driving inflammatory response. Like I said, especially if you're seeing in your blood test that your C-reactive protein is elevated to just do some, you know, investigative labs like an FSH, again, prolactin, right? Um, And then also get that progesterone at day 21 of your cycle. I would also throw in a CRP and a vitamin D and a fasting insulin. And those are great things as just a touch point to see where your system is at. If you know you're dealing with inflammation, it would be really important to run the MRT test because someone's superfood can be someone else's kryptonite. It could be your lettuce that you're having and instead you need to do just spinach. Or it could be pork, God forbid, (laughs) and you have to hold bacon for 12 weeks. Um, But this really allows us to see specifically what drives inflammation in the 
the individual and we use that like a GPS um, to drive an elimination diet and be very strategic on how to ring out the inflammatory chemicals. And again, connecting just like stress, inflammation in the body does not make the uh, uterus welcoming to a fertilized egg, right? And it also provides signaling that the body isn't safe. So it's going to suppress optimized hormone function. Got it. That totally makes sense. And it would be a way to really customize and tailor. Um, And so the diet would be keto or low glycemic at a bare minimum, and then anti-inflammatory building in the principles of the MRT potentially, um, focusing on organic chemical-free whenever possible. What about exercise? I know this can be a, a touchy point for women trying to get pregnant as well. Totally. So it's just like fasting in the sense that there's pros and cons. And so it kind of depends on where you're entering. If you're entering with excessive body fat, exercise is bar none a wonderful thing because you're going to be increasing your body's tissue utilization of glucose. You're going to be increasing your insulin sensitivity, and you're going to be increasing the uh, hormone communication within the body and reducing inflammation. Now, if you are someone that's doing CrossFit and you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, or you're doing these spin classes or high intensity exercise and you're really looking to cut, you have an eight pack of abs, then you may need to take a hiatus from exercise because you may be driving a distress as a a hormetic impact on the body that's creating signals of survival and the exercise may need to shift down um, to just walking and stretching. Yes. And honestly, seeing an eight pack on a woman, your hormones are probably out of whack um, if we see an eight pack because your body fat percentage is probably too low. Yep. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> um, and I'll link to that episode that we did back in the day on over exercise, because like you said, this is just kind of adding another um, stress to that bucket. It's, you know, maybe we need to focus more on walking and yoga and Pilates and exercise with cadence versus trying to run a marathon while we're also, you know, actively going through infertility. Exactly. Okay. So, um, what role does keto have back to keto real quick in endometriosis and inflammation? What other, um, mechanisms would keto have specific to endometriosis? So, We're going to see the blood glucose element, of course, obviously. You're bringing down blood sugar um, because you're producing ketones as an alternative fuel source to glucose. Um, With that, we're going to see lower insulin levels. Um, With that, we know that there's less reactive oxygen species when we use ketones as fuel over glucose, so that in itself lowers oxidation. Um, So enhanced antioxidant status is going to enhance the viability of the eggs. Uh, We're also going to see lower inflammation within those mechanisms. And then the fact that ketones cross the blood-brain barrier, they actually engage with the hypothalamus, right? And they also um, have like that slingshot effect on the pituitary like Clomid does without the aftermath of the messiness. Um, We can see a stimulation of follicular stimulating hormone or FSH and generally an improvement of FSH to LH ratio. And then um, beyond that, downstream even further, we can see that influence on excess estrogen or estrogen metabolism when we're using fat as fuel because we're metabolizing the estrogen deposits of fat stores. Okay. And then beyond the six causes and potential interventions, let's talk a little bit about some targeted supplementation for endometriosis and infertility. So I know inflammatory Enzyme is one that we often will use with the proteolytic enzymes um, for any um, any condition that involves kind of tissue aggregation or um, fibroids, up, things like yeah. that. Build up, yep. Yep. So inflamazyme is a fantastic formula at six to nine a day if you know you have fibroids, if you've had fibroids, you know, measured um, with your endometriosis and you're tracking and watching the growth. Um, Otherwise, you can hang at like four a day, four to six as a baseline. Um, But it's one of the best ways exactly to break down tissue buildup um, and it reduces inflammation in the body as well. And I would also layer in for everyone EPA, DHA extra, um, because this is one 
hormone that you can take throughout the entire pregnancy to regulate the inflammatory process. And we know, again, that fats help with hormone signaling and hormone production. So taking an essential fatty acid omega-3 is not only going to reduce the inflammation, but give you support of that building block um, in a great balance for the body. Uh, beyond the inflammatory world, I would look at the Beat the Bloat Cleanse, as I mentioned. If you're not really sure where to start, Beat the Bloat Cleanse or 10-Day Detox are two entry points as far as supplements with guidance on a diet protocol as well, especially if you're already doing keto. Otherwise, I would pre-see that and say start keto and then determine once you've gotten into a ketogenic uh, diet and the production of ketones, whether you need that support on either the detox or the Beat the Bloat. But I wanted to share, I, I worked with a patient that um, had endometriomas that were measured at uh, 45.6 millimeters and um, 21 millimeters, and they went down to 17 and 2. Oh, that's really significant. Wow. And she's uh, beyond her first trimester right now. Okay. So oh, I amazing. think we're on a successful pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. So super, awesome. super cool. Um, so, and, and it was use of the inflammazyme um, and, and the EPA DHA extra and a couple other things, of course, uh, MRT diet and beat the bloat cleanse. And she was a participant in our keto class. So all of the things mm -hmm. kind of, but uh, beautiful results um, of substantial reductions in size. I mean, 10 plus time reduction. That's amazing. That's an awesome case study to put in our book. Um, okay. What about other supplement support? Um, if we're going through IVF, I know I see, um, more and more using CoQ10, even in some conventional yes. practitioners, which makes me happy. Yes, um, I know. I know. Sometimes it's not the right form or dosage, but yeah. still we're on the right track. <laughs> We are. Yeah. CoQ10 is really one of those important ones as far as supporting um, antioxidant status within the egg. Um, and that helps with uh, fertility, especially if you you know that you're going to be doing an egg retrieval, extremely important. Um, uh, 200 uh, to 500 milligrams actually used as we're leading up that six weeks to the egg retrieval to really optimize the egg viability. Um, and then uh, cellular antiox from our line is fantastic. Uh, glutathione and N-acetylcysteine as the powerhouse antioxidants, also great support. And you can use those uh, throughout. You can use the cellular antiox and the CoQ10 throughout your pregnancy. Okay. Awesome, awesome tools. I'll link to those in the show notes as well. Um, and as if we haven't provided enough content already, let's just um, rehash some of those foundational supplements and some food as medicine. Yes. And I think I'm going to save the food as medicine to the blog. We'll link Good because, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're at the hour mark. We're trying to do this guys. Uh, but the big thing I would hit is, you know, again, you need multivitamin mama or a quality multivitamin. And what's unique about that is that we're getting the methylated B vitamins. We're getting chelated minerals or bioavailable forms of minerals. We're getting choline, we're getting iodine. And um, we're going to get them in a higher percent than we get in most even good quality prenatals without dyes and fillers. And it's third-party assessed for potency and purity. So really important because that's the foundational nutritional powerhouse for building a super baby <laughs> and getting your body ready for the process so that it's resilient and um, capable. Um, EPA DHA extra, a little shout out to that. So I just mentioned that, of course, with uh, endometriosis and inflammation as well as infertility. Um, I was just walking with a friend that's pregnant and um, she was telling me how an OBGYN um, told her to not take fish oil because the potentiality of mercury toxicity. What? So it's actually such a disservice because there's been so many studies that show the benefit of DHA on fetal brain development, study after study after study. And I understand that there's potentiality, but that's what makes EPA DHA extra favorable is that again, it's third-party assessed, tested for PCBs, mercury, toxins, as well as purity and no additives. Um, so I definitely recommend, and I think maybe it's a good recommendation to not take an over-the-counter Kirkland's fish yeah. oil or whatever, sure. some random generic filler um, that might have soybean oil and might have, you know, fish from China or something like that. 
but EPA DHA extra should be taken the whole way through. I would just recommend that um, at about two to three capsules, I just recommend holding about five to 10 days uh, prior to planned uh, date of giving birth um, so that you don't thin the blood too much going into the pregnancy, the delivery. And then the last part, because of the impact on the microbiome and also the fact that all of the food goals during pregnancy are based on immune suppression, is to support your system with a good quality probiotic, like the Baseline Restore probiotic. Um, And you might even do the probiotic challenge to see where you fit. But you can get all three of these formulas in our bundle, Mama2Be. We'll be sure to link that. And um, all of the other things we've mentioned, like Relax and Regulate and the Cellular Antiox, um, even Vitamin D Balance Blend, very supportive because we know vitamin D levels can get low with insulin resistance. Um, So we'll put definitely the top five highlights in addition to this bundle in the show notes. Okay. Well, I think that about covers it for today. This has been a really, really in-depth and informative episode. And I hope that the information that we've shared today, wherever you are in your fertility journey, that you can take, you know, a piece of this and apply it and, you know, hopefully have great outcomes with an awesome, healthy, super baby. Yes. We love photos as testimonials. My favorite (laughs) photos. I like the weight loss ones too, but not as much as cute babies. babies. Yep. <laughs> Those are the favorites. <laughs> and like I said, we'll also include in the show note, I put out a blog like three years ago, maybe four now, mm-hmm. I guess, um, on infertility and food as medicine. So we'll hit on folate, B vitamins, omega-3s, zinc, and then compounds that can support your stress. Um, you can go on over to the blog, AllieMillerRD.com backslash blog and check that out. As always, thanks for listening. Um, be sure that you share with a friend or family member in need. And again, always this information is to empower you. There should be no guilt or shame. If you're on one of these medications or you've done one of these things, just think about how you can layer some of the functional applications on top or support the process and understand the whys and, um, you know, work forward in, in your journey. It's all a process. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.